Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Good morning. Well, that's our prayer. That's my prayer. Let revival come. Let it come into my life. Let it come into your life. Let revival come, Lord, in this church. John Wesley said, set me aflame, and people will come for miles just to watch me burn. May we burn for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let revival come. Well, good morning. Let me try that again. That's about a six on a scale from one to 10, but you're not six, you're 16. So good morning, church. All right, good morning. My name is Dennis, one of the pastors here, and I'm super excited to begin this new teaching series that will take us closer to Thanksgiving as we're climbing out of the red. And I want to draw you to scripture, the words of Jesus, as we begin this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Jesus said this, don't store up treasures on earth. Moss and rust can destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy them and thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. Throughout my life, I've been on a journey and I have been discovering that true happiness, true success, it's not found in temporal earthly things. Now, if you would ask me that question 30 years ago when I started out in ministry, I would have said the same thing that I realized that true happiness is not found in earthly things, but eternal things, but I think it's still a journey. And I think we have to be reminded of it from time to time. As one author, Bill Hybels, has said years ago, the never-ending quest for it, capital I, capital T. Have you found it yet? I think it started for me, this never-ending quest for it, when I was 13 years old. In my neighborhood, my best friend at the time, who lived right around the corner, he purchased a 1982 Honda Express. Wow, what a hot rod. (laughs) Top speed, 30 miles an hour, downhill, four horsepower. And I said to myself, and I said to my family, and I said to the world, and I said to God, if I could just be the owner of this awesome machine of modern technology, I would never want anything ever again. Any parents ever heard that before? Please, Dad, can I get this little, and it wasn't a moped, by the way. If you look at that, no pedals on that. I mean, you had to be 16 years old to legally ride that, and yet I needed that. I wanted that. And my dad, he didn't know if it was a moped or not at the time. This is confession. He'll probably be watching this online. He said, here's what you need to do. Get a job. And so I got a job at 13 years old. I became a paper carrier, a paper boy for the Zanesville Times Recorder. At 13 years old, I got up every morning at 5 a.m. to fold papers 
and to go on my little route because, you see, if I would get this, if I would get the ultimate it, I would never need anything ever in my life again. And over time, I saved my earnings and I was able to get enough. So my dad and a friend, they drove a pickup truck to Columbus and we picked it up and came home. And for the next several months, I buzzed around my little neighborhood. I felt like Peter Fonda, an easy rider (laughs) on some great journey. But after a few months, I realized, wait a minute here. I like this little machine, but there are bigger machines. It's not it. I mean, it's cool and everything, but not it. And this went on and on and on to other things, bigger things, quote, better things. When I got to high school, I really realized what it was. It was to get a varsity jacket. And so I thought, you know, if I could just make the varsity basketball team. (laughs) This was 1987, and I was in a small high school in Southeast Ohio with not a lot of NBA players. I think we have a picture. There I am, my senior year. I mean, those are the 80s here, long hair. That's your pastor. And uh, I made the team, didn't break any records, got a, little, a few splinters out of my behind, was sitting on the bench a lot. But I realized, you know, it was fun to play basketball. Some of you played high school sports, and you really enjoyed that. But like me, you discovered cool and everything, but not it. There must be something more. And then my senior year, I discovered what more was the ultimate. It was dating the new girl that came into high school. And boy, was she something. (laughs) I mean, dark hair, beautiful eyes. I won't describe her anymore lest some of you men go astray. (laughs) We passed each other in the hall, looking at each other for a couple months. And I finally got the courage to ask her out to one of the dances, maybe the homecoming dance. And couldn't believe it. She said, yes, we dated my senior year through the prom. But I discovered over time, well, she wasn't it. I mean, nice gal and everything. Great family. Don't want to say anything bad about it. She's listening to this online. (laughs) But not it. There must be something more. Some of you are giggling or laughing or thinking about this, or you can identify because you've been on this search as well. You know what I'm talking about. You've said, if I could just get accepted into this college, if I would just land this job, if I just made this business deal, if I just dated this person or married this person, or if my kids just finally got out of the house and they ended up okay, then I'd never want anything else. If I could just fulfill the American dream, but then... For many of us, we've gotten some of those things or we've made it to some of those levels in our minds. We said, ooh, uh, good and everything maybe, but not it. And I've discovered over time, like you have too, there's nothing wrong with having a little bike to ride around. Nothing wrong with playing sports. It taught me a lot. Or having friendships and relationships in school. Nothing wrong with those things, but they cannot become an idol. They are not the ultimate it. And happiness is found not in the things of this world that are fleeting, but things that are eternal. The ultimate it was when I came into a personal relationship with the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of those other things in life then took their place 
Three months ago, I preached a sermon about first love and about priorities. If you didn't hear that, go back into our archives and our demand channel online, and you can listen to that, perhaps, that would help you to connect to issues of priorities as well. But when you get an eternal perspective, you see things in a different light. You, you see goals and dreams that you have are shaped in light of that. You realize that even in earthly things that we perhaps all enjoy or, or some that we need, that the earth is the Lord's and all that is within it, the scripture says. The scripture says that the cattle on a thousand hills is mine, says the Lord. And all we are in this world, we're stewards of our time, keepers, trustees, meaning we don't take it with us, right? We use it for a time. You've heard that little saying, or maybe it's new to you. I've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul. You <laughs> can't take it with us. So help me, Lord. You liked that one, didn't you? Good. Think about that. But we spend all of our time in that until we come to the place where we say, Lord, I see things in a whole new light. I enjoy the things I have, but I realize that my first love, my first focus, and then those other things are shaped, not in success, but significance to this world. So today we're not starting with calculators. Some of you have been to talks like this. We're not going over budgets. We'll hit on some of that next week and even getting out of the money pit of debt and some scriptures and, and, and a holistic view. So and make sure you're here. Invite young people especially. It's so good to get off on the, wrong, on the right foot. We're gonna be dealing with some things next week that'll be a little bit more practical. But we need to begin here. We need to begin with the heart because what again did that scripture say? Where your treasure is, meaning your first love, there your what? Your heart will be also. So I want to take you in the scripture to a story in the New Testament about devotion, a story about uh, extravagant love, and it's found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. It's also found in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, so this is in all three of the synoptic gospels. The synoptics, of course, are, and, and, and um, also in John. So this is, a, this is a scripture that's mentioned often. It's a scripture of importance. Last week, if you were here, Marcy was a great message on Martha and Mary. Again, if you didn't get that teaching, go back into the demand channel and listen to that. And Martha, she was one that just sat around, right? No, come on. She was one always busy, always serving, always doing. And she got on her sister, Marcy remind us. Her sister was named Mary for sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now when we go to John chapter 12, we see another account of Martha and Mary in Bethany. And so listen to these words. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary 
took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So let me unpack this. It's the week before the last week of Jesus' life, six days before the Passover. They're in Bethany. Now this is a little village on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. It was the Mount of Olives in which we find that Palm Sunday prayed. On the western slope was where Jesus descended into Jerusalem, the Kinron Valley, the Garden of Gethsemane. They're on the other side of the mountain. They're on the other side of the Mount of Olives. They're on the other side. There's a little village. It was the hometown of Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. His sisters were Martha and Mary. And John says they were at the home of Simon the leper. Now, if you do a little research on your own today, perhaps after this message or whenever you're listening to it, and you wonder who Simon the leper was, we actually really don't know much about him. Uh, Some have said that he is also called Simon the Pharisee in the New Testament. Others have said this was actually another name for Lazarus, who was a Pharisee, because we do know that he w- they were at his house in Lazarus' home. Martha and Mary were sisters of Lazarus. Have you got that right? Have you got that figured out? <laughs> Write that down. It's kind of like a, a, a long puzzle here, okay? Put it together. So that's where they are. Now, where's Martha? Martha's in the kitchen. Martha's serving. The men are out talking. They're reclining at the table. Now, if you think they're just lying around, I mean, that was normal in the first century. They actually sat at small tables. They didn't sit in chairs, but they would put their weight on one arm and they would eat with the other hand. And so they're all talking. Women would not typically associate with the men during this time. They would come in to serve. They would stay in the kitchen. It was just in that culture. But Mary broke the custom. Mary broke the tradition. She shocked them all. She came into the room carrying a vase with a very expensive perfume. It was a perfume of dried leaves that was considered to be, at least in their world, the world's most expensive perfume. The scripture even tells us that it was worth a year's wages. So think in your mind real quick, your annual income, whatever it might be, and thinking about that, think about that she was holding that all in her hand and she was about to pour it all out on Jesus. 
What would others in your family say if you say, I'm going to take my, all of my income, no matter what it is, because whatever it is, you're still hopefully living on it, right? You still need shelter. You still need food. You still need uh, clothing. And yet she pours this. It's, what, a, what a story. It was uh, perfume often given for those kings that were buried. And she pours it out on Jesus. Now, it says in this text, it was over his feet. But Mark says from his head to his feet, all over his body. And she takes her hair and she begins to, in an act of worship and devotion, as if she's preparing his body for burial, she's worshiping the Lord in this moment. And how shocked the men were. Can you imagine? I like author Philip Keller. He writes this. The delicious fragrance ran down over Jesus' shiny hair and thick beard. It enfolded his body with its delightful aroma. It would go with him through the ensuing hours, through the Garden of Gethsemane and Pilate's Court and to the foot of the cross. This special rite of perfuming the body was reserved for the burial of only royalty. And this was a significant moment full of extravagant devotion. What friends, what, what, what Mary was saying is this, Jesus, I love you with all that I am. I love you with all of my heart. And if someone were to ask, why in the world would you do something like this, break a vase and pour it out and waste it? And we know that Judas did, but he had ulterior motives. He was a thief. She said something like, well, love made me do it. I know it's a little crazy, but love made me do it. Has love made you do crazy things? Have you ever been in love, by the way? Hopefully. Yes, love with God, but love with people, perhaps your parent or perhaps grandparent or a friend or a spouse. You know the feeling, right? And there are different kinds of love. For those who are married in this room or in a long relationship, can you remember the first time that you met your spouse and the feeling when it turned to love or perhaps uh, your partner if you're dating? What'd you feel like? Love makes you do some crazy things. I remember the first time that Rachel and I met. Uh, we were both in seminary and I was just infatuated with her. <laughs> In fact, I have a picture, it's 30 years ago, we're, we're, we're an old couple now, there we go, there's a picture, it's 30 years ago, almost, I mean, back then, Rachel's hair had its own zip code, <laughs> and this is the early 90s, right, and uh, I remember the first time, the simple thing, I held her hand, that's her calling right now, saying, what are you talking about, Miller, <laughs> I remember the first time that I held her hand. I mean, it's a little thing, but to me, man, it was major. We were at an outdoor Christian concert, kind of outdoor Woodstock. It was called Igthus in central Kentucky. And we were listening to bands. I mean, this was a long time ago, like Stephen Curtis Chapman or Idol Cure, Whiteheart, Petra, Michael W. Smith, you know, one of those bands like that. But I couldn't tell you who was on the stage because you see her hand was just right there and it was just begging for me to take it. And, and I did the kind of thing, like, I'm going to do a countdown because my old heart was about to pop out of my chest. 
So I did the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. And she's probably thinking, what are you doing? Come on, just get with it here. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And then 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Finally, I just grabbed her hand and we interlocked fingers. And we rubbed thumbs. I know I'm getting really personal here. (laughs) I was in love. Fireworks going off inside my mind. Wow, the emotions. 30 years later, sometimes I take her hand, all I get is a sweaty palm. (laughs) But I sure love her a lot more. (laughs) You know, it's true that sometimes when we're in a relationship, if we don't continue to rekindle the fire, rekindle the flame, we take things for granted. And sometimes things change. Somebody once said, if you ever see a guy open up a car door for his girlfriend, it's either one or two things. The girl's new or the car's new. (laughs) Forgive me, I had to say that. That's a bad one. I know, getting a lot of dad jokes today. Oh, they get worse. Just wait over the years here. And we have to rekindle the flame. And the same it is with God. There are times in our relationship when we are followers of the Lord, if we've made that decision, where we begin to give lip service, we begin to say, yes, Lord, you are number one in my life. You do own it all. I'm just a steward, a limited time on earth. I, I, I know that you're the leader of my life and all things are of you, Lord. The blessings as well as everything. But then we say that, but the pull of the culture, buy me, wear me, drink me, you'll be happy. We begin to drift. We begin to look in other directions. We're like, um, you too. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Or way back with Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction Though I try, though I try, though I try. And soon as we continue to try and try, the red gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we get to a place, we say, how did I get to this place? The overwhelming pull of the culture, the never-ending quest for it. If I just get it, I won't want anything else. When was the last time believer, that you broke open a vase and said, Lord, here I am. I give you my life. See, I surprised some of you today. You thought, here we go. We're going to talk about money today. Although Jesus talked more about money than heaven, hell, or prayer. But some reason that we get so worried about that. Money's not a good or bad thing. It's a neutral thing. We all need it. We all use it. I want to know how to best apply it under God's guidance, but some of you thought I'm going to pull out, here's this pastor, he's going to pull out calculators and budgets and all that. But we could pull all that. We could have great speakers come in on finance and we have in the past and will. We could have people like Dave Ramsey and others. But if you don't have your heart in line, here's where I'm going. If your heart is out of whack, then you can get everything, quote, under control, your spending, but you'll still be looking for the ever ending quest for it as something else comes along in time. Where do we begin in a series like we begin right here? 
breaking a vase. I love what Annie Ortland in her book, Up With Worship, says this. Christians file in the church one by one. They march in like separate alabaster vases, contained, self-sufficient, in case, contents undisclosed. And their vases aren't bad looking either. They, in fact, become aware of each other's vase. So before and after church, they are apt to talk vase talk. But Mary broke her vase. Broke it? How shocking. How controversial. Was everyone doing it? Is that sort of thing allowed? Was it an official vase-breaking party? No. She did it all by herself. And then she writes this. The need for Christians everywhere, no one is exempt, is to be broken. The vase has to be smashed. And it will fill the room with sweetness. And all the broken pieces, of course, it's easier to keep up the alabaster front. It was costly for Mary, too. Christians have to let the life out. For some of us, even me, time to time we, we drift. And we've got to just say, here I am. We've got to break a vase. We've got to come to the place where we say, no more, Lord, am I going to just be on the endless wheel. I'm jumping off of it all. And I want to live for you under your way and your kingdom. May it be today. I invite you to all over the room to close your eyes and we're going to have some prayer time. And I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about even what's first in your life. Not what you say, but how you act, how you prioritize your life, your focus, the journey and the quest that you're on. You'll get your credit card statements. Where's your first love? For some of you who are old enough, you still keep a checkbook and the ledger where you see where your priorities are. I want you to say to the Lord today, Lord, it's all yours, all of it, everything that I have. And I just today worship you by breaking a vase. Father, today my heart is just recaptured by the wonder of the whole thing. The plan that you've had to bring us back into a relationship with you, God. One of the most irrational things I ever heard. That someone would love me and us enough to give their very life in spite of my sin. In spite of my rotten attitude at times. Or my greed. And God, why would you do something like that? Thank you that we hear you say because love made you do it. And I thank you that people around here, including me, are just growing us up to be fully devoted world changers. Thank you. We want to be like Mary. We want to express ourselves to you in incredible ways. So Lord, I pray that you'll rekindle the flame in our hearts today. You'll peel away the alabaster front that you would have your way, whatever it might be. Because Lord, we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness in time you're going to add all these things. You're for us, not against us. You're for the good and not the bad. You'll raise us up in your way and time. 
May it be so today. Let us believe it today. Let us receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.